everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled, where I have been telling my story of life after alcohol since my very first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my stories there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And some of you have noticed uh, there's been a, a down week on the Bubble Hour because I was away on vacation. My husband and I took our our um, little camper van down to the Grand Canyon. And uh, I posted some pictures on Instagram. You can see those. It's at Jean McCarthy Writes. And uh, have a look. You'll get a kick out of it. So there we are in a 21-foot van. And I get up three hours in the morning before my husband and write. That's what I've been doing these days. I'm on my second draft. I'm editing a novel that I hope will be out later this year. And so I would get up and make a pot of coffee at 6 a.m. while he slept, like right there. And then I sat in the passenger seat at the front of the van while he slept in the back of the van. And it was just fantastic and crazy. And um, it's just great. So anyway, have a a peek at that. And I must say, if you are looking for something out there in this world to put your life in perspective, just go stand by the Grand Canyon. And that does a really great job of that, of reminding yourself that um, no need to have a big ego. The Grand Canyon is much bigger than we are. Um, So anyway, I'm back from that, and I'm glad to be back. And I have my dear friend Courtney on the line today. You might remember Courtney, and if you don't, go back and listen. She was on the show back in September of 2016, that's season five, episode 15. And uh, she told her story about uh, choosing to live alcohol-free and what that's been like for her. And um, she's coming back to, I asked her to come back and check in with us because she went through a very interesting challenge, (laughs) to say the least, in recent months. And so I I asked her to come back and tell us what that was like. So, Courtney, hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, Good. It's good to hear your voice. Um, we are like, you know, those friends that you don't see for a while, and then you have the intense heart-to-heart conversation maybe two or three times a year. That's definitely that's definitely us. So whenever I hear your voice, I get this flood of endorphins that like, ah, girl time. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Okay. I, so I gave a very a tantalizing introduction about what happened to you, and I've left everyone just – dangling with curiosity, I am sure. So um, so I'm going to have you (laughs) jump right into it and give us your story about what the heck happened. All right. Well, I'll just, I'll start with the day. So I have a little six-year-old son, Hugo, and he said to me, he says, hey, mom, let's, let's go snowboarding today. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's do that. (laughs) Let's do something that's not scheduled and just go have fun. It was a gorgeous day. And So we headed off and he'd been snowboarding probably about like five times before this. And just to say, I, I did snowboard for about, you know, 12 years of my life and consider myself a pretty good snowboarder. So I thought I'd take him out and sort of give him a lesson. So we headed out and spent the day. It was gorgeous. We had a great day and it was kind of getting to be like last run. And he says, mom, let's, let's go up and let's do another run. And I was kind of like, well, you know, buddy, like, it's been a great day. Let's head home. And I sort of, my husband was there and he was picking our daughter up from ski racing. And um, I end up giving him a hug and a kiss. And 
and saying, I'm just going to do one more run on the gondola with Hugo and I'll meet you guys at home. And Brady was standing there and he's, you know, he's telling me, oh my God, you know, you're such a great mom and this is such a great day and all that. So feeling good. And we headed up the gondola and we started going down and we kind of stopped around a corner and he was sitting and I was sort of crouching, just talking to him. And as I just turned to go down the hill, I lost my balance, flew downhill stuck both my arms out and right away snap like both of them are hanging there so the limp hang on both wrists and I immediately had to sort of (laughs) use my Jedi mind skills from when I had babies and just calmly try to get to the side of the mountain and calmly get him near me and then I started to call for help and called for help for I don't know like I think it was probably about 20 minutes until and just shouting, you mean final. you're shouting, shouting for help yeah, on like the run. So, right, so I'm shouting for help. My little guy's looking at me going, like, going on, and I'm like, we have to shout for help right now. Mommy needs help. So then he starts shouting, and it's last run, so you can imagine there's, you know, the snowboarders are coming down, and people have headphones on. It's super loud. It was one of those really cold days, and the snow was just, like, concrete. So anyway, this girl finally shows up and I am able to sort of say take my phone and phone my husband because I just knew Brady would know what to do because he's been through an accident quite a few accidents himself so I managed to kind of like two five like I was going into shock at that point so she calls him ski patrol shows up I'm looking at these children these little guys that are going to load me into that toboggan and I think oh my god I'm going (laughs) to die just going down in the toboggan and I remember I'm just like laying there looking up at the sky thinking like here we go like this is it I kind of I just intuitively knew the journey I was about to take just from being gone going through some things with with Brady before so I get down to the ambulance they load me in they take me to the hospital and they go to get me out of the ambulance and the wheel doesn't come off the gurney properly so they then drop me four feet out of the ambulance and I'm just oh my god quiet I know. So the the ambulance driver, he's crying. I'm crying. Nobody knows what's going on. They sh- they get me in there, and you know, then it all starts, right? They set my wrist. They get me ready and X-ray me and realize that I need to be shipped out for surgery the next morning. So, but the funny thing was, is Brady says as I'm in the room getting my wrist set. I'm sort of listing off all these things, right? Like, okay, the kids need to be picked up here. This needs to be done. You're going to need to do this. Cause I just knew like I'm out, mom's out. Right. Like, so that was it. I stayed the night in the hospital in Revelstoke and then I was shipped out the next morning to Vernon and went straight into surgery and then wasn't was hospitalized for five days after that. So I was had titanium plates put in both of my arms screwed. And there I was. My, my arms hurt just hearing that titanium plates and screws into your arms. So the final the final um diagnosis was that you had shattered both wrists? Well, I had bilateral fractures in both wrists. So it was like the exact same break in both. And what I did is when I went down too, I hit my ulna nerve on my in my elbow and I caused nerve damage on my right arm which has caused numbing and yeah, just a, it's a it's nerve pain. So my right arm is my hand that I was born with um, no finger, like undeveloped hand on my on my right. So no fingers, kind of like a I don't know how you describe it. Hey, like a half hand, half fingers. Mm-hmm. 
So Uh uh it's already my challenging arm as it is. So that, that arm was a bit more damaged than my left, but yeah, bilateral fractures on both. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm scrolling through Instagram. No, I'm just, I, I get a message on my phone. I get a text message on my phone and it's a picture of you with both your arms in bright pink casts, or was this on Instagram? I can't remember. Yeah, anyway, that, all I of a sudden that, I see that was, a, <laughs> that was, in, that was Instagram. And it's Courtney yeah, with, so it, with a, a, a cast on each arm, and she says, so this happened. And I'm thinking, oh, both arms. I mean, oh, my goodness. I, I a couple of years ago, broke my leg on the ski hill, so I know, I know the shock and I know the – toboggan ride down but my kids were grown at that time so I didn't have quite the um the handoff of duties that you were going through but also you know that's just quite an impairment because well we'll talk about this but as you soon learned you need help to do everything when you have both arms in a cast but before we go there so because in my mind, your little son is still standing on the side of this ye hill. So somebody brought him down safely and got him connected with your so, husband yeah, and this, everything. This, <laughs> yeah, I know. I should say that. Because, of course, he's not really, like, he's not an amazing snowboarder yet, right? So luckily, this Australian angel girl, she was able to get Hugo down and sort of kept his attention by, you know, telling telling him about her farm that she grew up with the wombats and the kangaroos and things like that, but managed to get him down and get him safely to my husband who was waiting at the ambulance. And that's all I really remember. So he got down, he got to Brady, and then that was it. I was sort of off to the hospital. Gosh. Okay. So, so the reason that, the reason I wanted to talk with you about this, because, um, you know, the bubble hour is, is not typically a bone break show. <laughs> it's not really <laughs> yeah. usually. The, but so the, the the thing I wanted to talk about was the forced stillness and how one thing you and I have really always understood about each other was that stillness has has been very hard for us and alcohol sort of was the brick on our head that forced some stillness and it occurred to me when this happened to you that had you not had sobriety and recovery in your life, this forced stillness and this um, confinement, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. to use an old-timey term, would have been completely agonizing. I mean, I didn't even like to do yoga before I got sober because to me it was just like too still and too quiet. I mean, I did not want to go inside my head. I did not want to be alone with myself. So you, I just, I really wanted you to explore for us a little bit the effect that sobriety and recovery has on the challenging times in our life and why it helped you get through this experience. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I mean, there I was, I was laying in the hospital bed and I thought, I just, I honestly, it was like I went to a place where I had to apply every thing that I had learned up to this point for sure like it was like practicing Jedi mind skills right there and it was interesting it was like I just totally I became an observer and I was able to sort of bear witness to my life and therefore I was I was I began kind of just responding out of love 
and not fear because I was unable to control anything. Like I had to give, I literally had to take my hands off the steering wheel and had to let my loved ones help me and be sort of in control of the situation. So I was lucky enough that my husband was really amazing. He was super kind through it all and, and gentle with me because he knows that I think I'm, you know, I, I like to make it rain for everybody around me. But I think that's kind of what it was. It was like the universe sort of said, all right, girl, like you're about, you are no longer going to give. You are only going going to receive. And it, it felt like, it felt a little bit like an activation. And I sort of like during the process, because I was pausing all the time through having to recover with my arms, I, I became so acutely aware that, I wasn't separate and I was part of something so much greater because, and it was like this, I accessed this sort of like deep intelligence inside of me that sort of began to guide me. And I wasn't able to control the day or clean or like even feed myself. So it really did. It opened up this, this part of me that I, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's there, but when we're living in our busy doing, doing lives, it's really, really hard to access it, but it's a real, it's a sense of safety and a sense of, a sense of peace. Do you understand what I'm, what I mean? Or is that just a bit too complicated? No, it's like beautiful. I do understand what you mean, but I, I also, I'm just like, my mind just can't let go of all the challenges you had in doing that because okay, yeah, I, so, I'll, I'll, uh, so the day-to-day challenges, I mean, we're not just talking about I'm stuck in bed. Like for me, broken leg, my leg was up on a pillow, but I was surrounded by like beads and books and writing and like I could do all this stuff. And you needed help to go to the bathroom. You needed help to brush yeah. your teeth. Um, yeah. to pro- I'm guessing at first one. even I'll just... Go back to the- Okay. Do. Yeah. Let's like, so explain the explain the challenges. Okay. I'll get I'll get out of my spiritual awakening, but <laughs> that's no, that's important too. <laughs> anyway, so I get home and right away, my husband, my sweet husband, installed a what's called like a bidet cover on our toilet. Which I mean, uh-huh. thank God that's love for sure because I was just not going to go there, right? And I don't think he wanted to go there either. <laughs> so that sort of that alleviated a lot of anxiety for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't, he, he had, this is, and for me, like, if you know me, like I'm stoic, I'm strong. Like I just handle things for sure. Like, so to have this man have to like bathe me and dress me and yeah, it was like, you know, feed me because I like to be in control of my food. You know how we are. We like to control that too. And yeah, but it was, you know, but my energy changed. My energy was sort of more soft. It was more feminine. I really noticed that when I was injured. And I think in a way, like for in our relationship, like it brought us so much closer because I actually needed him. I needed his help. And I think he liked being needed. He, I think men also like to nurture. And sometimes as women, especially in this, the time that we're living in right now, women are just doing so much more than we've ever done before that we sort of, we get in these patterns of just doing, doing, doing and not asking for help. So I was here, I was like, I needed him. I need you. Like, and I think that, that was interesting. That was, it was in a, it was in a way it was, it was very, it was really good. It was a hard thing. And your husband had a a serious injury um, 
years ago. So it, it was a little bit of a role reversal in that way, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, he was. He um, snapped his femur and then crushed his knee and was in a wheelchair for six months. So, yeah, I mean, I was definitely the caretaker in that situation, and and I was I was pretty newly, I think maybe a year sober when that happened. I can't remember, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it did reverse the roles. I sort of saw where he was coming from and how fragile he truly was because I felt so fragile, and he totally knew what I was going through so he could really respond in like in loving kindness and not like hey I'm in charge like you just lay down because that would have been way too stressful for me and he knew that so he he definitely responded in the right way that I needed at that time for sure did you have any feelings of um wanting to drink during that time was there did you have any of that like I want to check out from this did you have any of those moments no, I didn't. I honestly, I really, I wanted to stay. I had a couple of, I mean, obviously I had a couple of um, low days where I had some tears for sure. And I thought like, because, you know, the day before I'm like getting up at 445, doing my workout, like, you know, doing all this stuff for the kids. Like I just was like a, a busy person. Right. So, and that was my identity, like just kind of getting it all done. Right. So I did have a couple days where I thought like, oh my gosh, like I'm no longer going to be that person, but I quickly kind of got out of it. I quickly, I, I think I was tired. I think I needed to lay down to be honest. <laughs> yeah, do, and was, do you think that the universe like gives us a smackdown once in a while just to like, do you think that there's something cosmic about that, that it was your divine timing for stillness that, that life offered you that opportunity to be still and grow? I do. I honestly, I really, really do. And yeah, and and it was easy. Like it all sounds magical, right? In the face of a great challenge. And in some ways like it really was, but in the back of my mind, I was always thinking like, okay, like how am I going to apply what I'm learning right now when I return back to all my responsibilities? And that's mm-hmm. where I think that energy had got me into murky water. And like you just said earlier, and that I think is why women drink because we we it's like we don't feel worthy enough to pause during the day to take a break and take in nature and what this beautiful life has to offer us right we need we have to have these forced breaks or you know and wine comes in easy it 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 shows you out it like it's kind of numbs your brain right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until it doesn't and and how do you think that you how would Wait, I'm stammering. Breathe. <laughs> I want you to imagine yourself going through this experience if you were still drinking. What do you think that would have looked like instead of how it did look like as a person in recovery? Well, it would have been absolutely terrifying is what it would have been because that was really my greatest fear was what, how, how would anything happen if something happened to me because I was just we've gone through a lot of things in our life I won't get into it but it was like you know I just always felt like I had to just be strong and sort of untouchable so if I didn't have recovery in my life I mean I would have completely probably become a victim of those circumstances right I would have I would have been pretty itchy very uncomfortable in being yeah not being able to 
like Pema says, like itch all my scratches, right? Like do all these things that yeah. I want to do. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like I was thinking about that. Like what would that have looked like without recovery? I mean, it would have been horrible. I'm sure I would, I would have been turning to all the wrong things to bring me peace and then ultimately leaving me more darkness for sure. Yeah, I think that's exactly but. how I I picture it. I also think there's a couple of physical things that happened too that would have that I think would have happened for me with my injury and one is that I would have continued drinking even while taking, you know, pain meds or anti-inflammatories or whatever and yeah. that's that's not a good combination because I couldn't not drink. When I I had a, a surgery um, the year before I quit drinking, I had a ablation, I think it was, a procedure, you know, lady bits, lady bits procedure, mm-hmm. and uh, but it required anesthetic, and I wasn't supposed to drink the day before, and of course I did. I mean, I could not drink, and I remember drinking and thinking, this, like, this could kill me. Going into an operation for an anesthetic with alcohol in my system could be a deadly combination and yet I am willing to take that risk like that was one of those huge red flags that helped push me towards the decision to quit was when I realized like I was literally taking risks with my life and the other thing I think that that happens to women um, if they whether their ism is alcoholism or other isms and um, as our, our friend Don Nichols says, we're all recovering from something, and sometimes the same mental processes that lead us to addiction um, lead other people in other circumstances to, say, eating disorders, workaholism, extreme codependence, or narcissism. So let's just throw all the isms in there. Like, let's just say you're being dysfunctional and you can't allow yourself stillness for whatever reason. To, and and if you don't care that much about your health and body because you're not um, – you're not seeing yourself as a true person of worth, then I think women force themselves to go against doctor's orders, get up way too early, start using that broken bone or that damaged body part way before they should because they are so invested in hustling for their worthiness that they cannot tolerate the idea of stillness and healing because they cannot actually see themselves as a as a person on the same level as everyone else. And they end up yeah. having chronic problems because they never heal that injury. So mm-hmm. that's something that I, like, I just was so invested in it. And actually, when I did reading on bone healing, um, the taking vitamin D is very important. Not using alcohol is very important. And um, mm-hmm. so those are, that alcohol-free lifestyle, it really contributes to healing just by not pouring that into your body every day. I got excited Absolutely, there. I went on yeah. a rant. <laughs> no, that was good. I mean, and it's funny, like, I'm not sure why I was so kind to myself because my default isn't that way. Like, even, you know, it's funny, like, and even when I encountered people when I was really kind of in it and really in, injured, I could really kind of feel who they were. Like, I could see, like, their goodness. And I think it was because I was meeting my own self, like, in that place where I sort of had no judgment or control. And then I think that spilled out like how I saw other people, because like when I'm overdoing and over and not like treating myself kindly, like I am, I'm controlling, I'm judgy. She's not, she's not that great to be around. Right. Like, so, I mean, although I've been alcohol free for over four years, I mean, there's, (laughs) I'm still working through all these other things and I'm really noticing them coming up now that I've, I'm starting to return back to my 
the way, well, my life and all these balls in there that I've put there, but now I'm like trying to manage it all. And I can see kind of all these little unhealthy patterns just creeping back in. Like, you know, Pema says like my shitty self kind of starts showing herself and I don't like it. I can see it. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. We were, um, you and I are both writers in our hearts and in our journals <laughs> and lovers of literature. Uh, and, and I was mentioning that the, the monomyth model is, is the idea. It's the basic elements of what makes a hero a hero. And so in every story that you read and in every every Disney movie that you watch with your kids. I mean, you can apply this to any any story basically that you've ever read. The hero of the story is the person that goes through separation, initiation, return and change. So you think about um you know, you think about like the hero who's like exiled from his village and he has to go in the into the forest and fight the monster and and he comes back to his village and something about him is different. Like his life is never the same because of that. And it's that change that points out to you who is the hero. And a tragedy is when the hero uh, either changes but dies before anyone can see the change was made or comes back and isn't changed. That's a tragedy. So when you talk mm-hmm. about now you've gone through all this stuff and you you know you want to bring it back to your life it would be literally literally a tragedy not to come back changed from that event yeah it, yes absolutely and this i'm finding is where the real work is starting like even the real recovery work i was just saying this to one of my one of our um actually to dawn to another girl too i said like god like I feel like now I'm starting the real work year four. Like I'm finally going to drop down into the real work because yeah, I'm, I, I I I want to hear about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, I mean, being injured. Yes. I was, I was, I was forced. I was like completely vulnerable, a forced vulnerability. Right. But I, but I was able to meet myself where I was at and apply everything I'd learned in recovery and was able to come through this, you know, the right way, because I was, I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't fight it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't like, I wasn't, you know, if I was not in recovery, you know, I didn't drink it away or numb it away. I just was there. I just was, I just was being the whole time, but that's not really reality. And I can't, and now I'm just, so I'm back to doing and I'm not so much being anymore. And I see myself going into that rigid, rigid way of thinking. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, how can this happen? So right now, it's okay, like, wait, what does that rigid I, thinking look like for you? What does that, how does that show up when you find well, yourself I'm doing it? Well, I'm part of myself. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, like when I was injured, you know, I didn't feel bad that I couldn't do my daily workouts. And because in recovery, my main recovery tool has been, physical activity for sure like I anchor my morning with my exercise and then that sort of sets me up for what I thought success but it was funny when I was injured and taking a long break from being so busy I could see the dark side of that too and I could see that chasing workouts has a dark side to it so I sort of was enjoying not having that pressure inside my brain right But as I'm returning back to feeling, 
you know, I'm able-bodied, I can do things again, all of a sudden these pressures are coming back into my consciousness that I thought, I'm done with that. Like, I'm not going to feel that way again. I'm not going to make myself feel bad if I don't, you know, do this this day or that that day. So do you know what I mean? That OCD type thinking is slipping back. Like, and it's kind of scary when you can see yourself going to these kind of old coping mechanisms. But I guess that sort of, you know, I, it's kind of the way it is. Like, and even Pema talks about that too. It's just, you know, growth is like that. You sort of, you go, you go up, 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 and then you fall down, 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 then you go up and down. Like, it's not, I can't just sit like a Buddha all day and be spiritually enlightened. Like I do have things that I have to do. Right. But that does cause stress. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You've mentioned Pema Chodron a few times. So what are some of your favorite Pema resources that you think everybody should dig into and add to their toolbox? Well, I mean, you can, I mean, I have most of Pema's books. There's a lot of, she has a lot of her talks on YouTube and, and also, I've just recently gotten gotten into a podcast from a friend, and her name is Tara Brock. And if any of the listeners oh, yeah. love Pema, um, they will absolutely love Tara Brock. She's she's unbelievable. She's able to relate all these little daily. She's just so relatable, and she makes she just gives you a sense of peace that they're because I, I they talk about like us in Western society, society how we really focus on the good and the bad self as we're not kind of meeting ourselves with compassion. And I'm really guilty of that. Like, if I don't do this this day, like, am I bad? Like, oh, I did, I, you know, I checked all these things off the list this day and did that and I'm good. Like, it's not that I'm saying it out loud, but I think it's in my, it's like in my DNA and it's hard to shake, right? Uh I didn't feel Uh that while I was injured, but I'm starting to feel it as I'm like doing everything again. So, but it's good. Let's talk about that for that, let's talk about that pressure to do everything again that you you're just that you're describing. Is that pressure all coming from inside of yourself, or is your family sort of like, oh, good, you're well again, like you can go back to making our lives easy? Was your family willing to hold space for you to do things differently, and you're just resisting it, or are you in that sort of people pleasing kind of way of trying to respond to their expectations? Yeah, I mean, my family, my family, it's it's all good. It's great. I think it's me. Like, I, I think I just, I think I'm, a, I get robotic. And I think I just yeah. do it all. It's like, it's that, it's the controller in us, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if, like, that's where I'm battling with, like, do I not feel like, because, well, because I totally needed help before, obviously, like, I was vulnerable, and I needed everybody to help me. But now I'm not asking for help because I, I can do it. I'm not sure. It's a very, it's, it's confusing, but then, yeah, you find yourself like doing way too much, a little bit resentful and you're not, you're not feeling those like happy vibes like you could, but I mean, it's not every day, but I'm definitely saw the power in the pause for sure. And that's what I'm applying to my, my life daily now, pausing all the time, even as I'm, I'm just, I need to, I want to make sure that I'm stopping that pattern of like just sort of getting out of the moment and rushing to the next thing, right? Because it's that, it's that moment where I think a lot of us that have had issues with alcohol, it's like we get uncomfortable in that, in that stillness, right? And then you're sort of like your brain immediately goes to the place where like it needs to be fixing something or doing something or as where it doesn't. You just need to like just sit. And that's, I think, where mm-hmm. the power is. 
Mm-hmm. Would you but, say but that's one of the main with... one of the main changes that you've made of uh, as a result of this? Then is just allowing yourself that pause, real, realizing that you weren't taking it. You you knew it was important before, but you weren't taking it. What's what's the biggest thing? Do you think that's that's different now? Yeah, I just, I feel like I just don't, I know that I'm part of something greater than just living in my head, right? I really felt that when I was injured, and I still feel it now. I I feel, I don't feel so separate anymore. I feel definitely, like, part of, I mean, I'm just so much more, I mean, I always was in touch with nature, but it just feels greater to me. It just feels like I was doing this thing when I would feel kind of stressed by like just the daily things, you know, cleaning or planning meals or working or deadlines and stuff like that. And I, instead, and I would be looking straight on and then I would sort of look up and then it would remind me like that this is temporary right now. This is temporary. And like, what am I doing? What imprint am I leaving in this moment right now? And then that would sort of, that seems to be snapping me into attention right because that's really all I've got because that's going to lead me into the future feeling or what have you so that's sort of what I'm doing now to sort of stay on that higher level energy so that I can communicate properly with my loved ones right like it's and it's all about the presence it's all about staying right in the moment I'm not thinking about yesterday not thinking about you know, what I'm going to have to do in five minutes or 10 minutes, I have to just, I'm trying to practice like that real, like solid stay. It's hard to explain, but it's, it's like, this seems to be my life mission, I guess. Kind of the that's issue, awesome. right? I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's, that is really at the core of recovery is just be here now, you know, just be here now, just be in this moment. And then that, when you're really struggling, you hear, especially early on, you hear that that advice of just do the next right thing. So if you're just in the moment, what's right right now? Okay, just stay still, yeah. stay present for this moment and for the next moment, and do it again the moment after that. And pretty soon, you you know, you got five minutes, and then you got an hour, and you got a day, and a month, and then all of a totally. sudden, it just it adds up. But meanwhile, as it gets easier, um, you start to find pleasure in that moment. And oh my gosh, so much you can fully experience. So, so talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, and you say that, you know, I'm far, you know, like, I feel like, oh my gosh, this is like the deeper work, right? Like, you know, we start off with the drinking and like, yeah, you know, your first day sober, exactly what you just said. It's like, you got to stay with that. You got to stay there in that itchy, uncomfortable feeling where in a split second you can make that choice to have that drink and then you're right back on that hamster wheel again right so the power mm-hmm. lies in be a, being able to sit with yourself because what are we so scared of feeling right what are we so scared of feeling what is it that's a great it, question you know and that's it and now I'm still dealing with the little with the little things that always that led me long ago to to pick up a drink but instead I'm sort of I'm picking up, you know, I'm cleaning, I'm, or I'm, I'm doing other things, or I'm just busying myself when really, like, oh, you know, to sit and just be quiet, like you just said, it's so, it's so, I'm just seeking it all the time now, is where, when, you know, when I first tried to get sober, my God, that was like, 
walking into the ring of fire. But it keep but you know what? As you keep doing it, it gets easier and easier and easier. It was like it's like that thing it says like every tiny little thing in your life is gonna lead up to something huge, right? So all these little choices we make during the day are so important because it leads something positive or it's going to lead to something negative, you know, like that quote that says like erosion is quiet, but it like you can, you just keep eroding your life with kind of making the wrong choice, not listening to your, not listening to your soul, not listening to your intuition, because we all know, we all know really what to do, but we, we are, we're so addicted to ignoring our ourselves, right? A hundred percent. I really think that is at the core of the problem. I actually had a friend call me a couple of days ago, and I'll say hi to her. Hi, Leslie. I love you. She was struggling, and um, or struggling, not struggling. She was drinking, and and wanted to stop. But she was like, you know, I'm just, I don't know why. I'm just, I keep drinking because like, I don't really seem to be, I seem to be managing it, even though I want to quit. I'm kind of not, and blah blah blah, and um. I so felt for her because here's what I said is like, listen, you're telling me you want to quit drinking and in the same breath you're telling me you're okay with not. And we are so trained. I think it's from, we talked about being kids and having families with kind of a a little bit of a, a acidic sense of humor, you know, that sort of critical sense of humor that's like, well, if you say your feelings are hurt, it's like, well, I'm just joking or, oh, don't, you know, I'm just being funny, but there's always this sort of butt of the joke sensation, and we learn to to that it doesn't matter how we feel. We learn like, oh, I have to keep smiling, I have to laugh at that joke, I can't acknowledge that it hurts me, and we're just trained from an early age sometimes by different things, that one for example, to discount our feelings, and we get so good at it <laughs> that we forget that it even matters what we think. So that when someone says, I want to quit drinking, but I'm doing it anyway, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, if your child came to you and said, I want this, um, you would listen to them. You would make sure they got it. You would meet their needs. So why aren't you listening to yourself? Mm -hmm. Why did someone else's need get to come ahead of yours? And, you know, that's just a really profound thought to stay with. For me, that was one of the, the core beliefs that I had to undo. And it was, in, in my thinking, in order to really stay with, not just staying sober, but with, like, healing the way I thought and conducted myself. Because if you're well, acting as if and believing that what you think doesn't matter and to the point where you don't even allow yourself to feel, you're just denying how you feel all the time, well, you can take the drink out of your life, but you're still going to be hurting, numbing yourself with, as you said, busyness or physical activity or other things. And while that's better than drinking, it's not going to get you to that next level, like in time. Maybe that's what we do in that stage one. <laughs> but yeah. more healing comes. Allow that more healing to come when you start to say, okay, I think I'm ready to consider what it might feel like to treat myself as if what I think matters. And well, exactly what you said before. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. We have a slight delay on our on our connection, and it's it's causing us to step on each other. So, so go 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 ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. Well, no, and I think it it all starts with that that with how you communicate with yourself. And I remember hearing 
um, years ago that somebody said to me, sarcasm in communication is really alcoholism weaves through that communication and weaves through families. So that was like such an aha moment for me because I have say that again, say it again, Courtney. So the way, so in our communication, sarcasm, right? Like, just like what you said, like, oh, well, like I want to quit drinking, but I'm, you know, I'm still doing it. Like, ha ha, like kind of, you know, or just, you know, you know, when you say that's kind of sarcasm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. and they say that I can't remember who told me this, but it's always stuck in my mind. And it was such a huge aha moment for me that they say sar- sarcastic sarcasm weaved through communication and families is alcoholism. That's how alcoholism weaves into the communication of a family. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that sort of distorted thinking in that the the tools that the addiction uses on our mind are those voices, those right. old echoes of the sort of sarcastic humor and the cruel um that kind of Right. It's like, "Oh, talk. oh, look at you." Like and yeah, where you're 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 just about to say something very vulnerable like, "I need help." And then I'll, and and then it sort of turned into a joke, right? Because it's sort of that sort of comfort or Anyway, I just uh-huh. thought that was really interesting because even in, when I kind of see sarcasm even popping up in our daily lives, it makes me uncomfortable. And it's like, it's all about like how, yeah, it can come up if you're real, if you're being hard on your comes out into your communication. But yeah, I mean that's a bit. I'm kind of got a little bit jumbled there, but I think it's, it's no. About I hear the, what you're saying. It's and it, children aren't old enough to understand sarcasm. So if the adults in our homes as when we're kids, are communicating in a sarcastic way with each other or about other people, we internalize that. Like we're just little observers, right? And even though we might not be mistreated, we're responding to what we're hearing. And we, so in my case, you know, I heard a lot of criticism about other people. Like that was kind of one right. thing my family did habitually was like, okay, let's talk about the people that aren't here because it's a way that we show that like this is what this is the insider info, you know. <laughs> and yeah. as a kid, I was like, okay, I guess I better watch myself or people are going to talk about me like that. And it turned me into this like raging fear of criticism that turned mm-hmm. up in an eating disorder and in you know, all kinds of ways and all kinds of distorted thinking. And um, it, it just, it's toxic. It is so, t- I don't know, that word is maybe a little bit overused, but yeah, it just, and then once we have that, we've, we've been coached on that dialogue, that, that kind of that kind of communication, we start using it against ourselves. Like our addictive voice is like, oh, come on, Courtney, you know, what difference does it make? You're stuck in bed for the next 10 weeks anyway. You might as well have a glass of champagne mm-hmm. or something, right? That, yeah. that just that sort of, like, yeah. negative, um, mean-spirited, um, un- just unkind. And and when you instead, if you if instead you're listening to and reading a lot of, let's say, Pema Chodron as an adult, you can start to train your mind instead to think in that sort of thoughtful, responsive, kind voice. Or, you know, I could list a thousand people that fit the bill, right? Like Brene Brown or yeah. the, the old yeah. poets. <laughs> uh, but and that was those the, early voices, yeah. our, our brains are so plastic when we're young that those old voices, it takes a lot to overwrite them as adults. And, um, and then, yeah, I'm coming back to when healing. you asked me. Yeah. Oops, sorry. 
think I coming back you again, to when I asked you. <laughs> well, coming back to when you asked me how this would be different if I didn't have recovery, and not exactly what it was. It was like, okay, I everything was freed up. I I couldn't clean. I couldn't take care of the kids. I couldn't cook. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't bathe myself. So it was like I had to fill my time, right? Like, so I did fill my time with recovery tools, right? I took like three courses. I did meditations. I really dived deep into Pema. I did all these things that I, you know, could, did, probably didn't have a, a time for every day because I was busy doing my other responsibilities. But now I was able to really, really fully do them as where if I didn't have that dialogue in my brain, I, you know, would have turned to things that weren't healthy, like, you know, complaining and, and being, you know, like drinking or just trying to numb out in other ways of just being a victim, right? Because you have these, you have different pathways through recovery. So that's definitely, how it looked different that way for sure. So what that courses was did you take? Let's hear about that. Um, Tell me well, what I, courses you took and what you learned. Uh, well, I did. Uh, have you guys ever, uh, have you ever heard of like the daily OM? Yes. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. So I did a few of those. I took a, um, a, a conscious parenting course by Dr. Shafali. She is unbelievable. If anybody wants to do some like deep inner work, she's amazing. Like it's, and it really just focused on kind of reparenting me, right. From when I was a small child, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. deep. And actually my, and I would make Brady listen to it with me and he was totally on board, which was cool. And then I did another one that was um, called like unleashing my inner goddess because I knew, because as I was feeling the power in the pause, I was like, I need to like hone into this energy. This is where I'm the most powerful. This is where I, who I truly am. So I wanted to be able to like develop some sort of skill base that when I'm dealing with stuff at work or dealing with my kids or dealing with something that's stressed, stressful and triggering, I can sort of go back to that whole place inside myself. So that was a good one too. I ended up doing a She Recovers online coaching, which I sort of just kind of like stumbled on. I'm like, yeah, Dawn kind of announced it on the She Recovers website and I, I saw it and I actually thought it was was an insult into becoming a coach because I thought, oh, okay, I'm ready now. Like I'm ready to, you know, go and serve. Like I want to help. Like I just had this real epiphany, but it ended up being actually going into a online co- coaching program, but it was actually, it was really wonderful. It was great. I worked through a lot of so like. So instead of being a course things. to, instead of being a course on how to be a coach, it was a course to be coached. To be coached in a group, so there was four. I think there was about fourteen of us, or maybe twelve of us. And yeah, we were. It was like having a an online meeting. So we would oh, have that once awesome. a week, or twice a week, and we would do it through video chat through Zoom. And you know what? It was really, it was really comforting, and it was, it was, it was really neat. I thoroughly enjoyed it and made some really good connections. Are mm-hmm. they going to be doing that again? Is that going to be offered again? I or think yeah. I think they. I think they're going to, I think so. I think this is something that they are offering. I think we were the second pilot, she was saying, um, program. So, yeah, I would, I, you know what, for people, for me anyways, like when I first got sober, like the, the only thing I ever knew was AA and there was no way I was going to be walking into an AA meeting because just of where I live, I live in a small town. We're sort of a little bit in the public eye with our businesses and, to me, that was really felt like it would shut me down doing something like that. It was too, it felt 
it just didn't feel like it was going to work for me. So this kind of stuff for people that can't get to meetings or feel uncomfortable with that, like to be able to go online into these zoom rooms is what they call them. It's pretty, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. Like That's modern awesome. technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's something I would definitely highly recommend it for people that are newly coming on to this fabulous journey of recovery and, yeah, I think it's 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 a really neat tool that I think is going to gain some some speed for sure. That's great. Okay, so and I have to say too that sometimes participating in something like that can give a person the courage to go to a meeting and see like to a a 12 step or some other kind of meeting and say like, "Okay, you know what? Being in a group and talking about stuff isn't so bad. Maybe I'll just go try that out." Because totally. um as you know, I was like the most resistant person to AA for the same reasons. I live in a small city, business person, and I just, well, I had lots of reasons. And, and also I just was like, you know, the 12 steps, like the first step is powerlessness, and I just don't feel that. And But I wanted yeah. connection. And, you know, here I am, eight years sober. I finally went to a 12-step meeting just because my eight-year anniversary was coming up. And I was like, how do I want to celebrate this? And I just thought... I just want to go and be around people who get what this is. And so I went to a women's meeting, and that's important for me. Women's meetings are really where I feel super safe. And it was lovely. And I live in a small town. I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I didn't know a single one of those ladies. And it was just a reminder to me that there are all kinds of wonderful people in our community who I benefit from having in my life who I don't already know. I don't already know everyone. And um, it, it's just been great. So I have to give that plug in there, too, that for those of us oh, that no, are really totally... resistant to meetings, it's like yeah. a, an online program can be a great gateway to just getting going and seeing, like, okay, yeah, this is what I want in my life for sure. Well, that's yeah. great. So, I, you know, I did see that that program was coming up from She Recovers, and I definitely didn't think to myself, gosh, Courtney should be taking that because I felt like you already <laughs> – had done a lot of growth, but you got a lot out of it. So tell me some of the things that that um, we've talked a bit about, you know, some of the growth that you've had and, like, just your awareness and appreciation of beauty. But do you have a few new tools or new, like, words or thoughts that are in your toolbox that came out of some of this development that you've done? Oh, gosh. Well, even just even to, like, plug on to what you just said too like I shouldn't say in the beginning I was scared of of that type of meeting but now like I know the opposite of addiction is connection right so for me now I'm like I always think oh I'd love to go to a meeting because I'd love to be around my people right my my women Uh friends because once you're kind of like you just said you're in this world you just want to be around the people that speak this language and it just and recovery just is life you know you're if you're taking if you're like going to go on the path of recovery it's such a gift right such a gift mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. you meet and the connections yeah so I don't want to say that I'm I'm not against AA in any way shape or form it was just this just the time in my life and it just it felt so scary to me right at the time I, I, sure I totally get it and I and I yeah. I just always uh, kind of ask people to take that conversation a step farther because a lot of us experience that resistant to a program any program in the beginning, and we, we talk about that as part of our story, but most of us, when we circle back, you know, I always like to say, how do you feel about that program now? Like so many people say, oh, I did eventually go. It was great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think, I think it is you don't fair put to, that pressure. 
Yeah, you don't put yeah. the pressure on. I think as you far, go farther down the line, I find I was just saying to Dawn about this too. I'm like, I just find I'm such a rebel. Like, I just don't want to fit in between. I don't want to do anything that has like these parameters or rules. Like, I just want to be, you know, like if I see somebody, like I just want to, you know, if you see one a woman in recovery, like you don't want to have all these these rules behind it. So the farther you get down the path in recovery it just I don't know it takes the fear and the pressure away so yeah walking into a meeting you're just walking into a meeting to basically look at yourself and somebody else and it just feels so good right yeah yeah it's true and it seems to be I've been in a few different kinds of groups and it does seem to me that it, it there's just something that happens I don't it's like some kind of magical thing that happens no matter what the construct when people just agree to hold space for each other to tell the truth, like there's that great Glennon Doyle um, video where she talks about being in a mental hospital when she's a teenager and realizes the rest of the world is crazy. These are the people that are sane because we're just we're telling the truth. I just I, I think that that is sort of what happens when you're when you get into a group of people that are like, let's just drop all pretenses that any of us have our act together and let's just. Let's just agree that we're going to hold safe space to acknowledge the junk and that it's you don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to pretend that it doesn't exist. And to just have an hour of that, a, a week, a day, oh. whatever, oh, it's it like is, taking your yeah. bra off. It's life-changing. <laughs> it's, life it's better than a glass of wine. It's better than a drug. It's like it's a drug of it's a drug of what we're all what we have access to it's like our birthright right like we just i don't know it's just it's it is it's truly magical and it's it, it's just it's everything you know yeah i love that i love how you said that i think that is so true mm-hmm. it is our birthright and and that's kind of what i'm going to take from the, like going on to what i'm going to take from this whole challenging thing i just went through it's like i really am so aware that we are just a part of nature and we're we're on this earth to enjoy this earth and be good to ourselves and to others. And in every situation that I'm trying in every situation with, especially my loved ones, like how can I be kind? How can I respond in kindness? Cause you know, fear, fear and control kind of make you mean, you know, they kind of give you a bit of an edge and like we all can get like that in our daily lives where like fear sets in and I'm trying to like, in every situation, pause, pause before I react, pause and think like, how can I respond right now through love? Like through, you know, that deep sense of just being kind and not having all the, what they, what they say or the rules or this or that, because we're, it's, it's kind of chronic in, in, in our society right now. So I'm just, I'm trying to respond from my gut and really trusting myself because I really saw that real trust when I was like completely paused and I saw it and I know it's there. So I want to make sure, and I need to access it when it's, I need to access it most when it's chaos, right? That's when you need it the most. Yeah. And that's when it's hardest to access it. It's like, we have to train that muscle. So hard. So hard. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's, what's the next thing you're going to tackle? Are you all healed first of all? And second of all, what are you going to do next? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much, I mean, I'm at about week 12 and I've been going to physio and I, I'm still stiff and I still have, you know, definitely 
some issues, but I'm, I don't know what I'm going to tackle, to be honest. I'm trying, like, not to tackle too much. That's sort of my goal right now. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm right. I am writing right now, and I'm, I want to continue doing that and hopefully one day have the courage to put that out there in the world. But I'm just, yeah, I'm doing that, and that seems to be pretty meditative to me. And, yeah, I'd like to... I'm thinking I want to go to the there's I think she recovers is doing some meetups do you see they're doing those city meetups so I think I'm hoping to go to the one in Vancouver because I live quite close to Vancouver so I'd love to be able to go to that oh that's nice Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that would be great just spend a day with but with women that are in the zone. Now, you and I have both gone to both of the She Recovers, the big conferences, New York and L.A., and we were roommates. And we had such great discussions in our PJs, <laughs> in our hotel room. Yeah. Um, this, our conversation today is a little bit reminiscent of that, of just like our, our, uh, our PJ talk at the end of the day <laughs> because there's the just world. so yeah. much. Yeah, saving the world. There's so much information you learn, and we're both just like – such eager students and keen observers of things that we had to do a lot of like just talking it out together of things we learned and sh- and shared and I know you passed on some resources to me where you're like I saw this and I thought of you and then it you know it's turned out to be one of my favorite books and it just there's just so much sharing that happens um, in this community it's, oh, it's great it's yeah. great to capture a little of it today for our listeners and um, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to hear from you I'm really glad that that you're okay. I when that happened, when I saw that first picture of you with your arms in cast, I just thought like that was a challenge I wouldn't want to face and I worried for you, but I knew that you'd rise to it. So it's been really really great to hear how you how you rose up through that and and turned it into an opportunity. And I just I you know, I I salute you and I'm thankful that you came and shared that with us today because um they, you know, this is how we learn. Who knows? Listen, yeah. Who knows which one of you has two casts in your future? Hopefully none of you, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes stillness is a broken car or, a, you know, a, who knows, you know, a, 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 yeah. a, a plain travel disruption or, you know, we get forced into stillness in all kinds of ways. So it's, well, it's, it's great, great to be reminded. Right? Yeah, it's like like grace, you know. It's like a situation where it just is, and you just have to. It just is, and that's all it is. And you can't control it, and you can't go back, and you can't go forward. So yeah, there's a lot of learning in those in those moments. Absolutely, Courtney. Thank you so much for taking time today and um, and letting me pick your brain about all of this. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Great, I'll call you back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we're out of time on our hour. So, listeners, if uh, if Courtney sparked something in you that you want to hear more, you know, want to reach out to her, give her feedback on on something she said, email me thebubblehour at gmail dot com, and I will make sure that Courtney gets it. And um, you can. Uh, Follow me at the uh, bubble hour at gmail.com. Sorry, that's my email address. The bubble hour is uh, all of our episodes are listed on blogtalkradio.com slash bubble hour, or you can follow uh, this podcast on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, Jean McCarthy Writes, and um, unpickledblog.com is where I write about my life which isn't all that much. My life's pretty boring right now, so this is why I get on the phone and talk to other people. 
Anyway, I'm glad all of you are here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here, Courtney and everyone. Until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. i